so glad you've joined us on the ERLC podcast to explore how the Bible addresses important cultural issues pertaining to life, religious liberty, marriage and family, and human dignity, and how we can walk in wisdom for God's glory and for the flourishing of our neighbors. If you're enjoying this podcast and find it helpful, please leave a review wherever you listen. This will help more people find and benefit from what we're learning together. We are grateful for the time you take to join us for these conversations. I'm Trillia Newbell, and I'm excited to announce our series, Better Together. The series captures our desire to partner together as men and women in the church and beyond to advance the kingdom with mutual support and care. Better Together will address a wide range of topics from sexual abuse, leadership, women in work, women's ministry, and so much more. Our goal is to inform and equip listeners on matters most important to women in the areas of church, home, and work. I am honored and excited to have my boss, colleague, and friend, Dr. Russell Moore on the podcast today. He is the president of the ERLC. How are you doing? I'm great. Good to be with you. Thanks for having me. I am going to just jump right in because we probably have a lot to talk about, but Mm -hmm. at the 2018 SBC convention, you announced that the ERLC would host a women's summit. What was the catalyst for that announcement? Well, uh, many things. I mean, part of it is years and years and years of uh, seeing the need to deal with women's leadership and women's issues uh, in our denomination and really across uh, evangelicalism in more comprehensive ways. I mean, obviously, uh, women are actively involved at the local church level in massive uh, sorts of ways. But I think often at the national level, uh, what tends to happen is when we think about when we think about women's issues, we tend to think only in terms of women's ministry. Sure. Yeah. Meaning by that, how do we minister to women? Now that's important. But it would be the equivalent of if the only time that we talked about men is if we were talking about men's ministry defined as just men together right. uh, doing things. So so that was part of it. Now, the other part of it was the fact that we were, were in the middle of seeing an unveiling of all sorts of awful things taking place in church life things that have happened uh, within American evangelicalism, right. within the Southern Baptist Convention, other places. Uh, so that was part of it as well. Yes, um, we can get really specific. Some of those things were sexual abuse and yeah. assault and yeah. all of the stories and that have come out and how the Lord is really um, shaping, equipping, and helping. And I'm grateful for the ERC's work in those areas. What are some of your hopes for the future? Well, a number of things. One of those things is to give uh, models to the next generation of evangelical women leaders of what the various ways of carrying out uh, one's gifts are. And I think part of the problem is we have—those of us who are complementarians 
have spent a lot of time over the past generation really arguing against those who disagree with us mm-hmm. uh, on the fact that God created men and women uh, in, in complementary uh, sorts of, of callings from one another. And, and anytime that you're involved in a debate, uh, one of the things that can end up happening is that you can, um, you can only focus on those points or uh, overwhelmingly focus on those points that are in opposition to whoever's disagreeing with you uh, at the time. Uh, and that, that can happen in, with really any I- any issue. And so I think it's it's kind of similar to I remember one time uh, sitting next to someone, and I'm someone who is reformed in my understanding of salvation, uh, but I was sitting next to someone who also is, and someone had prayed, and they ended the prayer with, uh, and we thank you for our Lord Jesus Christ, who is the propitiation for our sins and not for our sins only, but for those of the whole world. And afterward, the, the guy that was sitting next to you said, what's up with Tony and that Arminian prayer? And I said, well, you know, that's First John 2, 2. Yeah. So if, if you don't have a place for First John 2, 2, hmm. then you really actually are conceding uh, the argument. And I think the same thing is similar when it comes to these issues with uh, Galatians 3.28 and, uh, and all of the, the examples that we have in Scripture mm-hmm. are really countercultural women's leadership, both Old and New Testaments. Mm-hmm. So if we as complementarians... Uh, want to minimize those things because we think that they're not helpful to the sort of argument that we want to have, then we're not really being shaped and formed by Scripture, and we're actually creating and fueling unbiblical views of those things because people are able to say, well, if that's what orthodox conservative evangelical Christianity is, that's not what I'm seeing here in the book of Acts or in the book of right. Galatians or in the book of Judges or elsewhere. So I think that having models for uh, for the next generation of women, of women who are committed to the truth of Scripture in, in everything that Scripture says and who are empowered in different ways uh, within the life of the congregation, not just in the same way. No, that's excellent. So models, how do we then— how do we equip? How do we encourage? How do we motivate what this hope is? So you're hoping for models. Yeah. And I think that I think one of the ways that you I mean, some of the things are very simple things that could take place. I mean, for instance, I think and we've really lost this across the board. But when I was a kid, one of the ways that I think the Lord used to call me into ministry was the fact that it was a it was a custom in my congregation of a pastor uh, when he's sort of going through what various things God might be doing in your life to say maybe some of you God's calling to ministry. Uh, just to to put that mm-hmm. there. Now I think that one of the things that is is really needed is for pastors and small group leaders and Sunday school teachers and others within the church to stand up and say. Maybe God is calling some of the girls and women in the congregation to, and then a list of various things uh, that God might be calling and equipping you to do. So sometimes you don't have models yet within your congregation. Well, that doesn't mean that you can't do anything. It means that you stand up and say, we have this need within our church or within our community or within our 
denomination, whatever it is, we have this need, and this is what it would look like. Maybe it's you. So that the the person that you're so you may say, well, we don't really have a lot of uh, we don't have a lot of people within our congregation that are equipped as as women to do teaching or to do you know whatever the the particular calling is. Well, maybe you do, maybe you don't. Sure. Maybe you don't know that, and often uh, people will surprise you because. Um, you can't imagine them using gifts in a particular way, but you've just never seen it. But even if you don't, well, the person you may be speaking to is the eight-year-old girl who's in the congregation. That, that, that you know, you may not see the results of that for another 10, 20 years. Sure. But that, that's, the, that's the first step for that. And then the other thing I think is at the, at the national level, I think one of the problems that we have had is that there has been a sense of every time that we talk about equipping women uh, to serve the Lord, it seems to me, we always want to include in it a bunch of, um, a bunch of almost apologies of what we're not saying hmm. in a way that I think communicates a, a real awkwardness uh, about something that we we shouldn't be embarrassed about or we shouldn't be uh, ashamed about. Sure. I mean, it's 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 uh, it's sort of like we when I was a, a kid, we had this person within the church that whenever she would say something encouraging, she would say to someone, "You, know, I, I think you really did a good job leading that Bible study." And I'm saying when I say that, I'm not attracted to you. <laughs> I'm not trying to come on to you, you know, that, that sort of thing. Yeah. And you're just like, yeah. well, I never thought you were. And it's kind and of— now it's you, weird. Yeah, you made yeah. it weird. Uh, and I think that's that's often what happens. We stand up and say, uh, we need uh, women uh, leading and, and involved in the life of the church. Now, but, we, yeah. we're not saying that we're talking about anything biblically inappropriate. Well, no, uh, of course not. So I think that's a, a change. That needs to be you made. know, I'm glad that you brought that up because I wrote down here fear, abuse. I think that some of this tension that you have just mentioned is a fear, a fear, e- yeah, yeah, a fear of either um, getting it wrong with the scriptures or being perceived as being, I guess, I'd say subtracting to the scriptures. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and so, why do you think that we have such a fear, a fear of equipping women, a fear of I guess helping them thrive in in a way that is beyond the mother role. Let's just be yeah. real specific. I think that sometimes there is a fear there. What what is that about? Well, I think that part of some of it is uh, completely natural given the context. Okay. So we're living in a sort of culture that that wants to say. There, there really is no ultimate distinction between maleness and femaleness except at the level of social construction. Sure. And so when you have that sort of viewpoint, which obviously is not what the Bible teaches, right. then a lot of times there there is the sense, well, in order to combat that, we have to make sure we have this little amount of, of time against this whole stream that's carrying people down. So if we're not constantly on guard then we're going to be swept away uh, with that. I understand mm. that. I think that's. I, I think there's a level of vigilance that that is necessary to say we're the people who believe 
men and women are different in some ways and that those differences are good. And so we, we, we teach that and communicate that. The problem, though, comes, and this, this applies really to all sorts of things, is when we don't really realize, and I, I say this over and over and over again at, related to multiple issues because I think it's the primary problem that we have, is what C.S. Lewis said about not realizing that the devil sends errors not one by one but two by two on either side of what the the truth is at any time. So if you're hypervigilant on the way one thing can be distorted, Mm -hmm. often what you end up with is completely being blind to the way it can be distorted in the other way, Mm -hmm. in a way that Jesus just doesn't do. So you uh, you have the Pharisees who are saying, we want to make sure that we're holding to the law of God so what we want to do is to build this hedge around the law. What does Jesus come in and says, okay, first of all, you're putting burdens on people right. that God never put on them. But secondly, he says the, the burdens that you're putting on are, are the part of the problem is you don't even believe what you say you believe. Now, mm-hmm. I think we've seen that in the level of, I mean, I have had confrontations sometimes from uh, women leaders who didn't think that I'm complementarian enough. Um, sure. I think I'm pretty complementary. Uh, <laughs> but I don't think I'm complementarian enough for various reasons who would just come at me with this unrelenting harshness to say you're not doing enough to equip women to have a quiet and gentle spirit. And I'm just thinking, Interesting. okay, this is kind of, you're kind of contradicting your point. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, and so I think that I think that that's part of the problem is we don't we don't realize. I mean, it's 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 also it's kind of like I saw uh, someone who had raised his daughters in this really harsh, authoritarian, hyper legalistic, uh, super protective sort of way, and what I saw at the, at the sort of in the fullness of time is that he ended up with some of his daughters who were so just sort of broken-spirited. Yeah, you, you could just people who mm-hmm. didn't want to look somebody in the eye. And then he had some of those daughters who were you know, completely lacking in any sort of self-control and almost— rebelled. Yeah, yeah, just almost outrageously. Well, why? Well, it's because— you, you eventually say, well, you're you're so trying to keep me uh, protected that you're you're ending up in a way where I realize I can never meet whatever sort of picture you have for me. So some of them go in, well, I'm just going to just give up. Yep. And some of them are saying, well, I'm just going to do whatever whatever I want to because because I can't ever meet your mom. Well, I think a lot of that is what is actually happening. Uh, within the way that we have dealt with women's uh, leadership and equipping within the congregation, especially when, and again, when people shy away from those texts that egalitarians use because of the way egalitarians use them, mean that only egalitarians use those texts. And mm-hmm. we think they're using them in the wrong way, then that means nobody's using those texts. Mm-hmm. So when you think about, for instance, what is actually being said when Paul says in Galatians 3.28 and 3.29, there's neither male nor female. You are all sons of God 
And sometimes people will say, well, sons or daughters uh, of God. Paul doesn't use that daughter's language there for a very specific reason, because if he had, then you would have had, the Jewish Christians would have been able to say, yeah, we're sons of God. We've got the inheritance and you are daughters of God, you're inheritant, you Gentiles, and that belongs to your, your husband, someone else. Or we men Christians, uh, we not only have the relationship, we've got the inheritance. You women Christians have the relationship, but you don't have the inheritance. No, mm-hmm. he came in and said, no, all of you have the identity and you have the inheritance. Right. And the inheritance isn't just a, a pile of stuff. The inheritance is a calling. Uh, you will rule and reign with me, uh, Jesus says, and then models that within the congregation so that when Acts 2 quotes from Joel 2, it says the Spirit's poured out on all flesh, on your sons and your daughters. Well, what that means is 1 Corinthians uh, talking about the need for every member in Ephesians 4 to be building up the body applies not just to men, applies to women too. Now, uh, we know that there are differences within some of those callings within the life of the church that are the differences between spiritual fathering and spiritual mothering. Sure. But it's not a difference of, of uh, whether or not people are, are, are gifted or not. And I think when we spend so much time only emphasizing certain gift sets for women yes. that some women, uh, some women are called to and equipped to, then what you do is you leave all of the women who are equipped in other ways to say either I'm not gifted or I'm not really a woman. Hmm. No, you're exactly and right. Those aren't true. Just listening to you, my first thought was we need a re-education. We yeah. need to um, re-educate ourselves, the church and beyond, about men and women and the scriptures. And and so my question would be, where do we begin? I, well, I think part of it is again. This is, this is always going to be the case whenever there has been some threat to, to any biblical truth mm-hmm. is you're going to have this sense of uh, continuing to fight that battle uh, e- even when that battle's over or uh, to say, oh, that battle's over, so we don't need to talk about it anymore. Either of those two things are, are really, really, are really, really dangerous. Sure. So I think what we have to do is to... Uh, is to recognize, first of all, I think there are two things that can happen. One of those is just to keep doing the same old thing uh, in, in a way that is damaging. The other thing, though, I think would be to say, well, we've been through all of that. So now is the time where we're simply going to talk about our equality in creation and our, our callings as men and women together. We're not going to even address uh, any of those uh, any of those biblical uh, texts about difference, because if we do that, then we're going to end up uh, end up being. I mean, it's it's very similar to um, sometimes you will have uh, people who they say, well, I've I've seen a lot of uh, legalism when it comes to performance mm-hmm. between the way that we relate to God. We don't want to do that, and so in order not to do that. We're going to get really uncomfortable when someone says, this is obedience to God. Yep. So I think the same thing is, is true there. I see that. Is to have a balanced uh, picture from Scripture and to start working that, that through from the very beginning. 
and also making sure that we understand, I think sometimes when it comes to women and men, when we're talking about persons uh, in the context of teaching within the church, we kind of are talking to y'all, everybody. But when we're talking to men specifically or to women specifically, often, even just rhetorically, we tend to, to make a, a silo a, around that in a way the New Testament doesn't. Mm. Uh, the New Testament addresses men specifically, addresses women specifically, but addresses them within the hearing of the whole congregation mm. because I have a responsibility to encourage you toward godly womanhood, and you have a responsibility to build me up and to encourage me toward godly manhood in the same way that we do to one another toward godly personhood. That's good. And so I think that some of that means spending some time talking about what that looks like and talking about that in terms that aren't just stereotypical sorts of uh, sorts of terms. So when you're talking about, I mean, there, there's this, it's lazy and easy to talk about masculinity uh, simply within the context of sort of um, danger, yeah. uh, you know, wild game dinners, Hunting, yeah. <laughs> yeah, all of that, and that's and that's certainly uh, something that you're speaking to some uh, some aspects of people with it, and it's really uh, lazy to when you're talking about femininity to talk about femininity only in these these very stereotypical and specific ways. Right. And when it comes to, for instance, sometimes, um, I'm, I think you mentioned it earlier, uh, sometimes people will say um, speaking only uh, in terms of, of mother. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't think we're talking about mother enough mm. because I think what we're doing right now is we're speaking to mother and all that we mean by mother is biological or adoptive mother of children within her home. And so you're then saying to that 18-year-old Christian girl, this doesn't this apply to you, or yeah. to that single 60-year-old woman, this doesn't apply to you. Well, no, it actually does because that mothering vocation that God has given to, to women in creation points you beyond itself to that mothering vocation that is is taking place within the life of the church. Absolutely, like a nurturing gift. Yes, to- and a uh, a, a sense teaching. of equipping, yep. uh, guiding, uh, leading. Uh, there's a you know Paul uses this, and really the the Bible does does elsewhere too with this sense of um, birth pangs this sense of um, an emotional sort of labor that often expresses itself in lament uh, that we see biologically in motherhood, well, that's not just people who have born children. Mm -hmm. Uh, Creations even. Yeah, yeah, he talks of creation in Romans. It's experiencing the pains of birth as we await Jesus' return. You're absolutely right. Yeah, and I mean, you think about you think about the the first century church. What is one of the uh, primary needs uh, for the the people within the congregation? It's that they have often been alienated from their families, from father and mother, and what they need within the life of the congregation are 
fathers and mothers, mm-hmm. not just generic parents, but fathers and mothers in a really specific sort of way. And I think sometimes we lose that. Mm. Um, and so I, I wish that we could hear more, more Mother's Day sermons that aren't just Proverbs 31 directed toward, uh, toward those who have, have children in their homes, but the sort of Jesus from the cross saying to John, woman, behold your son, and son, behold your mother. Because that's what's happened uh, to us, whether whether we have living mothers or whether we have um, mothers who, whatever their situation is, but we have fathers and mothers within the congregation. And that's um, that's not just one thing any more than it is with our biological fathers and mothers. That's that's a really complex sort of calling and role. Absolutely. And you started this by talking about how you and I, for example, should uh, encourage towards godliness. Yeah. So there is a sense of together, mm-hmm. family. Um, so how do we, thinking about all of the the different topics and issues and, and things that we see in our culture and in the church, how do we work together to help with what you've been talking about from equipping to, it sounds like a lot of it is sound doctrine to mm-hmm. understanding the scriptures. Mm-hmm. Um, and how do we work together as men and women, both culturally and in the local church to advance this this vision and the hope that you see? Well, one of those things is to say, if people who are in leadership in a local church, to sit down and to say, let's think through together what the Scripture actually uh, teaches about this. And one of the things that I've noticed is I've been in congregations where uh, women are doing a lot, but they're doing a lot at the subterranean level of the congregation, and there's there's not much— that is happening within uh, the, the actual gathered worship service that would signal to people that that's taking place. Hmm. So I've been in a congregation where, uh, for instance, only men are taking up the offering. Only men are serving as ushers. Only men are uh, serving as worship leaders or, or whatever. Well, if you've got a congregation that says, this is our conviction that the Bible teaches this, well, yeah, I'm not going to I don't want anybody to to go against conscience, but that's often not the case. Instead, what the case is, well, we don't think that the Bible mandates men only ushers. There's no ushers in the Bible. There's no no taking up of an offering the way that we do it or um, invitation uh, time counselors that are only – it's just that either sometimes you've got a congregation where they've just never thought about Uh, doing anything differently, or because they think, well, if we do that, that's going to kind of signal that we're not committed to a complementarian view. So we keep, well, that's just not the case. I would say, come in and say, if we believe that these are areas that are specifically and exclusively uh, related to men or to women, okay, well, what are they? There's not going to be a lot of things. And then say, well, everything else— why aren't we? That's good. Is it just that we don't have any women who are gifted and equipped to do this or men who are equipped to do this? Or is it just that it just doesn't even cross anybody's mind uh, that that's the case? So I would say just having those sorts of signals um, is important and a an appropriate level of diversity in terms of the way people are using their gifts. 
not on biblical diversity, but a, an appropriate level of diversity. And the reason I say that, and I speak uh, of that out of personal experience as a man, mm. but who didn't see when I was a kid grappling with a call to ministry models of what um, of what somebody gifted and sort of equipped like I am could could be. So most of the models that I would see of ministry were screaming preaching, just screaming at the top of the lungs all the way through, followed by a really extended emotional sort of altar call in a way that I knew, well, that's just not who I am. So and so that must mean, yep. yeah, that I'm not called to to ministry. And so I needed those other models to say, not not that there's not anything wrong with this, but there's also this. And I think that's what we need for, for girls and women uh, within congregations as well, to say there are multiple ways. The calling that we have of Mary and of Martha are different. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the callings that we have of of uh, the mother of our Lord Mary and the calling of Sarah, they're different. And so uh, there, there are different ways that that's going to show up. And here are some models that maybe uh, you can say, well, that's the sort of, that person right there is kind of the way God has gifted and called me or some combination of what she's doing and what she's doing. Well, that's just kind of naturally how God is, has created us to be able to start to see where we're gifted when we look at those models and we say, well, this is what God's, but not that. Mm-hmm. And I think that's that's what we're missing sometimes. No, I, that makes a lot of sense. So we want to encourage pastors to evaluate their services and yeah. see how they are using the women in their congregations so that they, so women can see these models. Yeah. That well, and, and just when you're preaching and teaching, Sometimes I think that even at the level of uh, illustration and application, because in our our world, pastors are men, there's a tendency to speak directly to men Mm -hmm. um, and then to speak very indirectly to to women. It becomes kind of tagged on um, in a way that if if you're a pastor— then you're called to speak for Christ from the Bible as an ambassador to the entire congregation, which means that you're spending a lot of time thinking about what does this look like for the single mom who's trying to pursue godliness uh, while she's while she's working two jobs and raising a child. And you're, you're putting yourself into all of those situations, not just in the situation of, well, how does this apply to a whatever age man speaking to those ages men mm-hmm. you know no that's very good okay so give us some gospel hope cuz i imagine that there's someone who's listening who could be discouraged they've failed they've been one of those pendulum swingers maybe uh-huh. or there could be someone who just they catch a vision for this and want to do it but they're they're fearful discouraged give us gospel hope for well, this future i think one of the main things is to i think there's a tendency sometimes when we've experienced something bad, to either move into sort of an Elijah in the wilderness, I, I alone am, am left sort of mentality yeah. that God just says, that's just not true. Yeah. Uh, this is not going on. I think there's also a tendency sometimes 
when you've been in a situation where you've lived through some things that you say, this is not what I think Christianity ought to be, to then spend the rest of your life kind of looking for uh, signs of whatever that is in whomever you're you're dealing with, where it, it, it may not even be there. And I think that shows up here uh, often because sometimes you have people who will say, well, my church just doesn't get it, whatever mm-hmm. it is. I mean, I, I've had this with, I've seen this over the years in dealing with uh, orphan care uh, and widow care issues. I would be at a, a conference somewhere and somebody would come up and say, our pastor what do we do? Because our pastor just doesn't get it. Mm. And then they're just, you know, sort of Slander. bemoan their yeah. pastor, yeah, in various ways. And what I've noticed is that in many of those cases, five years later, that church and that pastor are models of doing that. It wasn't that the pastor was hostile. The pastor just didn't. The pastor, like everyone else, is growing. Yeah along with everyone else. So what I would say is, yeah, if you're in a congregation uh, where you have this sort of, uh, well, uh, we we don't want to hear from women, we don't think that issues of concern to women matter, well, yeah, then that's a real problem. But often what you're going to find are congregations where if you approach the leadership and say, here is what I think God is calling and equipping me to do. How can I serve you and the rest of the congregation with that? Often what you're going to see is a pastor who maybe hasn't even thought about the fact that they're inadequately uh, equipping women. And if, what you, if, you're, if the way you approach it is to say, uh, you are not adequately equipping women, you are just like you know, fill in the blank. Well, you're not going to, that's not, it's not accurate. Doors closed. (laughs) Yeah. Instead to come in and say, not come back next Sunday and have a comprehensive plan for turning this around, but to say, well, God's called you to equip the saints. And apparently to some degree, you've been doing that because we have this sense of something needing to be done. And we have a calling that God wants us to do it. Here's kind of what we're thinking. Yeah. Um, and then I think that that often will bear a lot of, of fruit. And I think, too, just look around and see what God is doing. I mean, yeah. there, there's – I remember a time when if you were thinking about uh, women in leadership in evangelicalism, you were thinking largely – some exceptions, some major exceptions, but you're thinking largely about – um, either sort of egalitarian evangelical feminists mm-hmm. or uh, people who are going to be speaking only to uh, a, a very narrow uh, range of issues. Now you look around and you see uh, God is raising up and equipping at the local church level, names that other people might know, at the national level, names people do know, people who... Their primary giftedness is not that they're women. No. Yeah. Uh, it's that they're wise, faithful, effective teachers, missionaries, whatever the, the, the category is. Well, that's a good—those people are always there. Right. 
probably. They just weren't recognized or, or seen. Well, right now, that is, is increasingly visible, and, and I think there's a, a great deal of, of uh, excitement that ought to come along with that. Say, well, let's not, let's not despise the day of small things. Yes. Uh, let's instead say God is really doing something, and let's rejoice in that, and let's see to it that we further it. Hmm. Amen. That's so encouraging. And I, I would encourage all of our listeners to do that, to mm-hmm. look around and, and think of the ways that the Lord has been working. And He has. Yeah. He's doing good things. Mm-hmm. Well, Dr. Moore, it's always a pleasure to speak with you. Well, you and as well. I'm yeah. really grateful for your time and for your vision and that you are leading the ERLC in this movement towards working together as men and women and equipping us so that we can handle the topics that we are going to be discussing on this podcast. Oh, thanks so much. Good to talk to you.